0: raised primarily in Philadelphia. She finished her secondary education on a full scholarship at Springside, an all-female private boarding school in Philadelphia. She graduated from Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, and Temple University School of Law. Mm-hmm. During law school, an exchange program took her to the University of Ghana Law School in Legon. Is that how you pronounce it? Ligon. Ligon, Ghana, West Africa. Pamela still practices law and has enjoyed an over 30 year career as an insurance adjuster in Pennsylvania and Florida. She's here today to tell us about the history of quilting, present some of her wonderful work, which I'm sure you've already looked at, but give us some more details, and give us a story of how she was inspired to take up the art of quilting. So Pamela, please. on your Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to give honor to my angels, my ancestors, those that came before me. I'm just going to wrap this up just a little bit. All right. Is, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. just make sure the volume's up. Okay. There, we there we go. So, okay. thank you. Okay, so um, in preparing my remarks, because of my background, um, research is kind of sort of what I do, okay? So, um, as a mediator and arbitrator, I find that uh, when I meet with people, I try, if at all possible, Are there things that we can agree upon before we move forward? Because if we can't agree on anything, we definitely have a problem. So also what I do is I like to start with definitions. So I'm gonna start with some definitions. So quilting is defined as a craft or leisure activity, work produced by quilting, pattern of stitching, use for quilting. The definition of a quilt. Join together layers of fabric or padding with lines of stitching to form warm bed coverings, garments, or for decorative effect. The word quilt comes from the Latin, culsita, which means mattress or cushion. The old French pronunciation is quit. And the new French also is quit. (laughs) Um so what I found interesting but not really that interesting or surprising, and I don't know if you knew this or not. Um, how many of you knew that quilting has African roots? African roots. That's what I thought. Oh, you knew. We went to the African American mm-hmm. Museum where they had Okay, made room that brain <laughs> Okay. so I'm going to expand on that just for a little bit. Okay, so in doing the research, I came across this article, and I'm going to quote some of it verbatim, um, and so it was in the New York Times, it was an article by Ann Berry, and it was on November 16, 1989. The name of the article was Quilting Has African Roots, a New Exhibit. So... There was an exhibit at the craft museum entitled, Who'd A Thought It? Improvisation in African American Quilting. So there were 27 quilts from the personal collection of Eli Leon. And so I quote, Mr. Leon has found that much of the American patchwork quilt tradition may be derived from African design Patchwork was originally done in Africa. The African slaves who came both to England and to the United States routinely decorated items. The patchwork quilt emerged simultaneously in England and the United States in households of the aristocracy at a period of time when there were African slaves in those households. Since scraps of cloth were becoming more and more available after 1750 with the process of industrialization, it seems likely to me that the English and Americans got the idea of using them decoratively from their slaves. He further speculates that some patterns that were to become standard in American patchwork quilts originated in African textiles and carried over into African American quilts. So um, I bought some of the resources that I use and I just wanted to share because someone had asked me prior to the meeting how I got started quilting. And so I guess I can say when I was very young, um, I learned to sew, my mother taught me how to sew. When my mother would sew, I would be there gathering the scraps and I would make outfits for my Barbie dolls, okay? (laughs) And so from there, I grew up um, and was educated both in the public school system and um, for two years, I I got a full tuition scholarship to attend an all-female private school. But I was educated during a time when they actually taught home economics. Oh my goodness. Okay, so how many of you, your first project, was it an apron? Yes. (laughs) Okay, who even, I mean, so you all know what an apron is. I mean, if you were to ask someone today what an apron is, they would look at you like, what are you talking about? Although they are coming back. I mean, everything is like full circle, right? Um, And so then, you know, when I went to college, I took my sewing machine. I would always create outfits. So I've always sewed. Um I guess the other part of, of growing up when I grew up in an educational system that valued art yes. and music. Yes. You know, I can't I can't tell you how important it is to be exposed to art and music and literature. Um hmm. But anywho, (laughs) um, so all of that kind of was like a backdrop. um, And so I didn't do anything artsy for years. I mean, I never considered myself to be an artist. I mean, creative, yeah, but you know, whatever. And so then um, a number of years ago, I met Lauren Austin, and Lauren has spoken here, and in fact, Lauren was the featured artist of the Fall DeLand Art Festival. Um, And one of her quilts was the featured art. And then of course, earlier last year, there was an exhibit at the African American Museum in DeLand of some of the quilters and two of my quilts was in that. So it was at that point, well, actually, let me back up. At the Zora Neale Hurston Festival, that's where I first became aware of Lauren Austin. And that was when she was the artist in residence in New Smyrna Beach. Okay, <laughs> and just the other day, because you know I'm also a photographer, I found photos that I had taken um, from those earlier Zora Neale Hurston festivals, where there was a time when anyone and everyone who was um, part of you know African American art history—I mean luminaries like Ossie Davis and um, Ruby D and you know, just world-renowned poets and artists would come to Eatonville. Um, and I'm I'm glad that I was able to actually um, drink in some of that knowledge. So, fast forward a couple of years, um, I started doing batik at a senior center in Orlando with a friend of mine. Her name is Shalini Tandon, and she still teaches. Batik, but she also teaches um, acrylic, painting, watercolor. I mean, basically, women, we just come and hang out. Sometimes we don't create anything, except we just sit there and just hang out, okay? <laughs> because, you know, we always bring food, okay? Because, <laughs> you know, come on, when women gather, you know, we gotta eat, come on. Thinking and being creative is hard work. So um, I took batik with Shalini. And then a few years after that, I had an opportunity to travel with her to India, which was an incredible experience. So essentially, some of what I brought here is going to incorporate a lot of different stuff. Um, So like any artist or any of us in this room, we are all a product of how we were socialized, um, where you live, where you grew up. And so Petra mentioned that my father was in the military, so I call myself a citizen of the world. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've been able to travel. I've lived abroad. Um, it makes a difference. It really does, so it does. And I appreciate you know the opportunity to come and to speak to you ladies, and hopefully you have an open heart and open mind and you'll learn something from this experience that even though we are different, we are alike in more ways than you can think of. And if you just take a few moments and engage someone in conversation, you will sooner or later find something you have in common with that person, okay? So um, Mr. Leon further said that he believes, let me just see here, Um, he says that The flexible patterns of African Americans might have been the models for standard patterns. And so when you think of quilting, and Lauren Austin is a good example of this because she learned what we like to call traditional quilting with traditional patterns like you may be familiar with, like the log cabin, wedding rings. And you know, it's interesting because all groups have quilting. I grew up in Philadelphia and right outside of Philadelphia we had the Amish. And if you've ever been to like Lancaster, Pennsylvania or Reading, you know that the quilts that they create are are magnificent, but they're what I would consider to be more traditional patterns. And if you look at my quilts, you know, hopefully are the colors like causing you to whip out your sunglasses? (laughs) Because, you know, I'm just, I just love color and and the work that I do reflects me, my personality and, and color. So he says that um, in all probability, African-Americans would have improvised as they had in Africa. They might easily have generated many of the prototypes for the patterns that were to become popular in the standard tradition. So just to digress for a moment, I don't know if you all are familiar with uh, the women's of G's Bend. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got that video, anybody ever wants to watch The incredible, so. What is interesting is um, in like, I guess the 19th century, um, they were discovered um, because it was recognized that the quilts that they had created were um, different. It was like folk art and um, the patterns that they used were unique. And so, as she said, that's an incredible video. They have a book, they've had exhibits. G's, G-E-E-S Bend. It's a group of women in G's Bend, Alabama. Oh, thank you. And you can Google it. Yeah. And you have it. Did you have it? I have the video to that. There was a program that was down at the um, Orlando Museum a few years ago. Yes, and I went to that. Yes. Yeah. to go with it, it's phenomenal. It is, absolutely. Yeah. And throughout the years at the Zora Festival, I've met incredible artists, and a lot of my friends are artists. Um, there's one that comes to mind, uh, Mary Missionary Proctor. And she would literally take doors and create phenomenal pieces of art off of doors. And so what is interesting um, about African American art, in my opinion, is And even in my travels, like when I've gone to South Africa and other places, that we have the capability to create beautiful art out of things that people would, for the most part, deem trash. Um, Like they take telephone wire and create magnificent animals and things of that sort. Um, and so hopefully this, I'm not just going to stand here talk, talk, talk. This is going to be interactive. So anytime you have a question, just ask a question or you want to say something, just say something, okay? Okay. We actually have some of the wire art for sale down the okay. museum store. Is it from South Africa? I think it might be okay. because um, I bought one of the small baskets. I use it all the time Cool. For chocolates from my husband. So, um, Eli Leon, that's a name you might want to write down, E-L-I-L-E-O-N. Apparently, he died when he was 82. And he was called the champion of African-American quilt makers. So, I found another article when I was doing research. And um, so, he died on... March the 6th, 2018 in California, which is where he lived at that time. So at the time of his death, he had approximately 3000 African-American quilts that he had collected throughout his lifetime. Can you even imagine? So I give you the name because you can actually go, you can Google his name, you can Google his collection and you can actually see photos. Um, but after he died, he donated his entire collection to, and I just have to look at it, it's called BAMPFA, B-A-M-P-F-A, and that stands for University California Berkeley Art Museum and Pacific Film Archive. So you can go to their website as well, and you can, you can look at all of the quotes that um, he collected throughout his lifetime. So earlier last year, like February 19th, there was supposed to be an exhibit of some of the quilts, but we know what COVID, I, I don't know that the exhibit actually happened, but I think it did because when I went to the website, you can see all of these links. So I think you can go and you can actually get like a virtual tour. So if you wanted to do that, you could do that. Okay, and you can find that at BAMPFA.org. So to further lead credence to the theory that um, there are African-American roots in quilting, in about 3400 BC, there's a carved ivory figure in the British Museum of an Egyptian pharaoh wearing what looks like a quilted mantle. OK? And so that led me kind of sort down a rabbit hole. <laughs> and I found a website. Um, and it's called Z U B E U M dot org. And it's also entitled an article, The History of Quilting. So it's the story of Bob and Eileen Zubian, where they talk about travel as creative fuel for their art. And that really struck a chord in me because yes, I love to travel. <laughs> and um whenever I travel, I do research, I keep a travel journal. Um And my nieces and nephews have have benefited because whenever they have gotten um, a degree, I always ask them, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? And if they don't tell me, then I'm like, you get to go where Aunt Pam and Grandma want to go, okay? (laughs) So um, a lot of the trips have been planned around um, places that I know have a rich textile history. So I always buy cloth, always do research, always know where the stores are. And when my mom and nieces and whoever, they're like, ah, oh, we don't want to do anything. I was like, see you later. I'm going to find my fabric store. <laughs> okay. And that's what I do. So I bring back fabric from a lot of places because fabric tells the story as well. OK. Um, and so then there was one other website that I found. And it is um, Nugget, N-U-G-G-E-T, news.com. And it's entitled an article, Quilting Has a Long and Vibrant International History. So essentially the premise of this um, article was that quilting is international, which it is. And it goes on to state that um, people tell stories through their quilts, which is true. Um, They also said that quilts reflect um, religious and philosophical beliefs. Um, And that they're worn as adornment. They're, They're used for warmth. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons why people wear quilts. I mean, my ancestors um, created quilts um, for warmth, and you see a pillow sham, which is part of a a king-size quilt that my great aunt, that when she died, she was either 99 or 100 years old, depending on which one of the two birthdays we believe that, you know, for social security purposes she had. Um, And so when she gave it to me in 1990, I started crying and she thought i was crying because i didn't like it <laughs> but i was crying because i realized that it was truly a labor of love i mean think about and it's all hand done it's all hand stitched i mean think about how many hours she spent with her scraps of fabric cutting out the little circles and then you have to draw them up and then you just collect them and collect them and think about I mean, she made me a king-size quilt and two pillow shams. You know, um, my mother, so this would have been her aunt, my mother has quilts, and my mother's 87. My mother has quilts that were made by her grandmother. So I can't even, like, in terms of trying to figure out how old they must be, I figured they're over 100 years old, but I mean, It leaves me speechless. Um, So, you know, we have the hand quilting like that. And then the piece right there, the lion, is an example of like applique or patchwork. And I bought that when I was in Ghana. And so in a lot of cultures, when they quilt, they do more applique. Now this is not a quilt, this is a wall hanging, but still the principle um, is the same. And so then, um, I just want to give you one more site, and then we'll talk about some of the other pieces. Um, So there's another website called quiltofbelonging.ca. And so this is an article about quilting in Egypt, which, believe it or not, is customarily done by men. That's what I said. (laughs) Um, And that's because they create these intricate patterns on tents. And in Cairo, and Egypt is on my list of places to go, um, and I don't know if it still exists or not, but there's a a tent maker's bazaar that exists in uh, Cairo. And if I get there, I'm gonna check it out and I'll give you all a progress report when I come back, okay, (laughs) so the actual quilt of belonging is 120 feet. Can you imagine? Um, And it was like a collaborative textile project um, of the human family, and it consists of 263 blocks. And each of these blocks portrays the cultural legacy of the first people in Canada and throughout the world, which I thought that was kind of cool, kind of neat. Okay, so now I'm just going to, the first quilt that I made, which is this one right here, I call it Ancestral Journey. And you might not be able to see. I'll go through. Okay. Um, you'll see you'll see that, and it's kind of faded. Do you see the sign where it says 80 and Bussy road? Right here. believe it or not, if you go to Atlanta on Interstate 75, there is actually an exit 80, which is Bussy Road. Is that your road? I'm gonna tell you the story. <laughs> So, um, also on that same quilt, I believe there's a picture of a water tower that says Cuthbert, C-U-T-H-B-E-R-T. And on my father's side and on my mother's side, I'm very fortunate that I know that's where my my family, that's where our roots are in in the red clay of Georgia. And I'm the first born in my family. I'm the first of three children. When my mother was pregnant, um, and about ready to have the baby, have me. <laughs> um, she was in Detroit with my father, but her her people said to her, uh, "You're not going to have that baby up north with them heathens. You need to come on home and have that baby." <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I'm I'm the only one that was born in in Cuthbert, Georgia. Um, And by that time, they also had acquired in Cuthbert, Georgia, a hospital. So I was actually born in a hospital, okay? Meanwhile, you know, my mother and other people in my family, they were um, born, you know, midwives. And so um, growing up, because my father was in the military, um, we never really went to Cuthbert. But when I moved to Florida in the late 90s, I've been to Cuthbert more times than I can tell you because I still have family on my mother's side and on my father's side. And when I went to Ghana, um, the summer of 1981, when I got there, the thing that struck me that really, uh, in a visceral manner, was that they had red clay, similar to the red clay in Cuthbert, Georgia. And it was like, for me, like I was home, okay? Um, So, getting back to the story about Bussy Grove. In 2017, I had the honor of serving on the Orlando Sentinel Advisory Opinion Board, where for the entire year, I got to express myself. (laughs) (laughs) If you remember 2017, there was a lot going on, so I had a lot to express myself about, okay? So you can find any of those articles if you Google my name in Orlando Sentinel. And one of the articles that I wrote, it was, I think, called What Southern Monuments Mean to Me. And I spoke about Bussy Road. And I had done a little bit of research, and so I knew that these were people that were connected to me. These were people who probably had owned my people. And when I first moved to Lake Mary, I remember... I went through the phone book. Remember when we had phone books, (laughs) y'all? And there was an attorney in Orlando with the same last name. Now, my last name is not a common last name. So I knew he also was probably someone who was connected to me. So I decided I was gonna get dressed up and I was gonna go to his office with one of my cards that said, Pamela P. Bussey, attorney at law. Um, And so I went there and I gave it to the receptionist and she probably was like, WTH. And so I didn't necessarily think that he would come out and and speak to me and he did not. But I thought it was kind of like a full circle moment. So you never know. You never know. Okay, so if we want to now very quickly, the last quilt, which is one of the quilts that I had in the... um, on exhibit at the African American Museum in Deland, and I just got to go to my seat real quick. Okay. So remember when I said that you know my quotes they, they kind of tell a story. So the back of that quilt, when I saw it, it reminded me like of a black angel. And so a lot of times my quilts, you know, you can either side them. It's all good. And so as she walks around, I'm just going to share with you what some of the symbols mean. And the reason I bought this is it's so funny. She mentioned that one of your guild members is in Hawaii. And who doesn't love Hawaii? Come on. And so what you can't really tell, the piece that's in the middle is an angel. And it's um, a Hawaiian quilt template. And if you've ever been to Hawaii, you know that Hawaiian quilts are like applique. And so I I really like the the fabric. She'll flip it around, okay? And you'll see like the, the fabric, which is kind of like a purplish color, And I tried with gold thread to outline the wings of the the angel because I just had to have that fabric. But anywho, so this is actually the template that I used. And maybe you can see it better here than you can on the fabric that I chose. And so the templates is bizarre because you have to lay them so that when you cut it, it's one piece. And it took me a minute to figure this out, how to get it. so it was like one piece. But the ones that didn't become one piece, I saved them because you know what? You, you never know. So I save everything and I can incorporate it. So even with a lot of my quilts, a lot of projects that turned out um, not quite the way I wanted them to turn out, but still, I use it. So as you see, You can see like the angel wings, okay? So I'll just very quickly go through some of the other symbolism. So the angel or Anila, the Hawaiians believe that we live in two worlds, the spiritual and the physical. Um, The angels are just part of our spiritual world providing us with guidance in our everyday life. So the name of this piece, I call it Metamorphosis. Um, I created it mm, earlier this year, myself and, and three sister girlfriends of mine, we all went to college together. We were in, um, in Georgia, Tybee Island. If you've ever been to Savannah, who doesn't love Savannah, dad? How many of you have been to Tybee Island? Mm, okay, so do you know about the history of Tybee Island? Mm, probably not, but I'm going to share very quickly that tiny Island, like so many places, um, used to be somewhere where black people could not go. Imagine that, okay? Hmm. But anywho, so I created this. We were staying, um, like, feet, literally, we could look, be out on the paddy when the beach was right there, and all of this came to me. So kind of sort of how I create is either... I will first come up, kind of backward, like with the name of a piece, <laughs> and then I create the piece. Is that kind of strange? Usually it's the other way. You create the piece, you look and say, I'm gonna call, but that was like, no, I'm gonna create a piece, and I'm gonna call it metamorphosis, okay? And that's what it became. So the butterfly, of course, is a symbol of metamorphosis. And if you look, you will see butterflies, and I actually found a fabric which has butterflies, and it's like glittery. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the feathers, because feathers find me. <laughs> also, you have the continent of Africa in different colors, red, black, and green, and those colors are, um, you know, they do mean something. And so the feathers, since you mentioned the feathers. Okay, so feathers literally find me. Um, I've, I've been in 2019, the last, International trip I took, I was in Paris with my friend Sophie, who's French, and we were at Versailles. And I was standing like in the center and literally I looked up and like a white feather just came and landed at my feet. And I was like, okay, there you go. go." So they're like gifts, I, I view them as gifts. So while I was creating this quilt, those feathers that you see, they found me. And I incorporated them into the quilt. So um, feathers, for those of you who don't know, are a sign that a divine presence is watching over you and they can symbolize angels or um, the souls of loved ones. And so the pink feather, pink represents unconditional love, orange, energy, change, success, creativity, Brown is stability, grounding. Blue is peace and inspiration. And black is protecting your energy for your spiritual awakening. Um, There are all kinds of other symbols that are on there that if you look, you can see, and you can come up and we can have more discussion. So there's the raised fist in the middle. And so what that means is, it's a little saying that goes with it, when I raise my fist is not to say we are better than another race of people. I raise my fist to uplift my brothers and sisters who have been degraded for hundreds of years. So then there are charms that are on that particular quote. Um, there's like an eye of Horus, which is an Egyptian symbol. You've probably seen it. If not, I can point it out to you. There's a Ganesh, which is a remover of obstacle that's for those who are Hindu. And because I have Indian friends, of course, they know I love Ganesh. So they always give me with Ganishes or Lakshmi's. (laughs) Um, There's a hand of Hansa or a hand of Fatima, which is um, an Islamic symbol. Um, And so the five fingers represent the five pillars of Islam. A symbol for protection as a defense to ward off the evil eye. You know the Greek evil eye. Everybody's seen the Greek evil eye, okay? So five fingers in Judaism represent the five books of the Torah Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the five pillars of Islam are profession of faith, prayer, alms, fasting, and pilgrimage. And so then we went from my first quilt, the little bitty one, to quilting with a group of women at the Hannibal Cultural Center in Winter Park. And there is a long arm quilting machine there, so I thought, hey, I got this. (laughs) And I decided that I could go from that to creating this king size quilt here. So I made this, uh, we were supposed to have a family reunion in Lake Mary, but it's been postponed now for like three years. And so you may not be able to see, but there are words that I stitched and the names of my brothers and sisters, my nieces, my nephews, um, Cuthbert, yeah. So the point was that some of the fabric is fabric that I tie dyed. Some of it is a batik that I batiked or, or fabric that in my travels. The largest piece is like a shower curtain that I tie dye. And so in my house, you know, I, I have batik shower curtains that I've made and tie dyed shower curtains that I've made. Um, batik projects that maybe didn't come out the way I thought, but in keeping with the Japanese principle of wasa- wabi sabi, the art of imperfection. <laughs> I never throw anything away, and I just incorporate it into a quilt. That shocking fuchsia pink was a skirt that I saw in a Goodwill store, and I loved it. And I was like, I'm gonna take it apart, and incorporate it into a quilt which would, with the fringe. Yeah, just cool. just gorgeous. And so the, the purple symbol, G Niami, is an Adinkra symbol. And you can Google Adinkra symbols, A-D-I-N-K-R-A. They are West African. And that particular symbol means God is omnipotent. And it's one of my favorite Adinkra symbols. So I incorporate a lot when when I make quilts, because I'm really trying to communicate something about me, my heritage, my story. And we all have stories to tell, okay? And so I also have here um, some books which show some of the African motifs or patterns that I incorporate. And then I also bought um, a little photo thingy of some of the other um, artistic stuff that I've done like silk scarves that I batiked or tie-dyed a wood table that I put a tinker symbols on, masks that I've made. So all that to say, you know, we all have creativity in us, whether or not you believe that you do, we're all creative. And um, I'm just really fortunate that people that know me know, you know, if it's a choice between doing something creative or artistic or having quote an adventure versus mopping my floors or <laughs> being domestic, (laughs) I'm going to opt for the creativity and have an adventure. So people, they say, well, you know, we don't come to visit your house. I'm like, thank God. (laughs) You come to visit me, right? (laughs) So again, I thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. And do you have any questions or comments that you would like to make about anything that i said? Yes. Uh, H to the no. Okay. And you said you do a lot of travel you liked to buy fabric. What what was your favorite? Maybe top two trips. Okay, so, um, number one on the list, I would say probably the most spiritual place I've ever been. Um, when I turned 60, I went to Bali. And um, Bali, it, words can't describe it. In fact, I wrote an article for the Sentinel about my adventure in Bali. Um, the first thing that I noticed was that you could be anywhere and you would find these banana leaf offerings, like on the sidewalk, on the tour bus every morning, on his dashboard, he would have a banana leaf, and there would be food on it, there would be flowers, and I was like, oh, MG. You know, imagine what it's like to be so connected to who you are and understanding the connection that you have to your ancestors, the people that came before you, who their journey made it possible for you to be here. And every day, you honor them and you respect them. It's also interesting because, um, you know, in Bali, you, you have you know, Hinduism, and so where we stayed, there were all these magnificent Hindu deities like Ganesha and others, and I just went crazy with my camera taking photos. Um, but also, I don't know if you all remember, a number of years ago, they had a, um, a mass shooting that happened in Bali. And so they have a magnificent memorial it was at a nightclub and that was literally down the street from where I was staying. And I made sure that I went um, to see that. So Bali ranks as, as being up there. And I guess the first, my first trip, my first country um, when I went to Africa, and that would have been Ghana. Um, I was fortunate that at that time Temple Law School had an exchange program with the University of Ghana Law School. Um, I was able to be there for six weeks. I got to travel throughout the country of Ghana. I got to go to Togo in the capital, Lome. Um, And since that time, I've I've been to South Africa when I turned 50. When my niece got her bachelor's, we took her to Morocco. but I would say Ghana and certainly uh, Bali. Any other questions or comments?